Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value, all the things it takes to understand your customer's world so that you can generate value for your customers. Today, I am thrilled to have an old friend, Eric Rollins. Eric, welcome. Thank you so much. So Eric is a consultant that helps um, mostly ophthalmologists and eye doctors of all types uh, sell their practices. So he is a medical practice broker. Is that fair to say? I think that's fair. We do uh, brokering, consulting, and appraising of medical practices. And he, he's mostly done um, eye care, but he's kind of expanded into a couple other specialties. But uh, his, his real super comfort zone has always been in eye care. Is that correct? That is absolutely true. So, you know, we were talking uh, a week ago or two, and you were telling some great stories about how you help and how you consult with eye care professionals. And man, did I think that you're helping those folks increase the value of their practice. And I don't know if you knew this, Eric, but my book, Radical Value, one of the working titles that I was thinking of before I settled on Radical Value was... Um, it was something around the, the, the multiplier or the value multiplier. And the idea is if you add value to your customers, it multiplies value back to you. And nowhere is that more true than in valuation of your, of your business. Absolutely. Uh, right now in uh, most medical fields, uh, the, the intelligent folks are using a value multiplier of EBITDA earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And for most uh, smaller mom and shop, mom and pop size practices, the multiplier has grown from about three, about maybe four or five years ago. It's currently around four or just a little over four. So it has grown a little bit, but again, that EBITDA value uh, is a, a key thing. And the magic of incremental revenue affects all businesses, but especially healthcare businesses, because so little of our uh, of our uh, excuse me our uh, profit line goes to cost of goods. Uh, most businesses have a much higher cost of goods than medical does, because we just don't sell as much as we do provide services. So every dollar that we add to the uh, sales equation, about 60 to 70% of that falls right to the bottom line of profit and therefore falls to that EBITDA value. <clears throat> so typically, if you raise your sales by $100,000, you're going to raise your EBITDA line by $70,000. And that 70,000 gets multiplied by four. So you just made $280,000 more for your business by raising sales 100,000. And what a multiplier uh, effect. And, you know, th those multipliers are true in all kinds of businesses. In the stock market, we look at um, 
at, at earnings multipliers, and they don't even use EBITDA. They use a, a smaller number, and a lot of multipliers are huge. And in software as a service, for instance, the the profit multiplier is crazy high. So every dollar of revenue, uh, every dollar of profit is a huge uh, multiplier in terms of enterprise or business value. You told me a, a couple stories about uh, your past as a, a competitive athlete and uh, what what you help uh, eye care doctors see in terms of how to grow their business. And I, I'd like to have you share that. Sure, sure. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, I was a competitive swimmer when I was back in school and uh, was on a really good team, but I was very nearsighted at the time. And because of that, uh, in competitive swimming, you're going off a pace clock that's on the wall. I couldn't see the pace clock. So I couldn't uh, be leading the lane for doing a hundred yard freestyle on uh, a minute and a half, for instance. I had to follow somebody else because I couldn't see the clock. And I went to my doctor every year. He got me new glasses every year, um, <clears throat> but uh, he didn't know I was a competitive swimmer. I didn't know they had such a thing as prescription swim goggles. So both of us lost out. So one of the prime things I do is I make sure that my consulting clients start using a lifestyle activity survey to determine how their patients use their eyes in their daily activities. And uh, we're fortunate that we've got a lot of products and services that we can offer to people for different uh, usage of their eyes. Uh, for instance, Right now, about 70% of the people that work on screens, and that's pretty much everybody in this day and age, have some form of computer vision syndrome. It can be blurry vision, headaches, back and neck pain, uh, et cetera, et cetera, dry, tired eyes. And we've got products that can make that go away. But most of the time, we don't even ask the patients about it. Uh, when I do a, a consult for a doctor, the first thing I tell their staff is I don't think we should ever sell anything to anybody that they don't need. But we go to the other extreme. We don't even sell them the stuff they do need. Uh, another statistic that I got a kick out of is there are 18,000 car accidents every single day in the United States. Out of those 18,000, one third are caused by glare, either too much sun during the day or uh, too dark and too, not enough contrast with headlights at night. So that glare is responsible for one third of all the car accidents every day in the United States. We've got products to fix both of those things. And too often we just don't even tell our patients about it. Wow. Uh, so the yeah. first thing we need to do is we need to know how the patients use their eyes and then we need to inform them of what the solutions to those needs are. Now, what a great parallel, you know, in my book, uh, I tell business-to-business business sellers, understand your customer, understand their world, understand their needs, their aspirations, their fears, and you can turn what you sell into a solution or a resolution for those fears if you know about it. And uh, you've got this exact parallel in a really clear to understand example with an eye doctor and computer eye strain or, or glare and, and causing automotive accidents. I, I think that's um, what a great example to people. Now use this brilliant example and, and apply it into your business, everybody. There you go. Uh, and another thing I tell my consulting clients <clears throat> is nobody should ever sell anything in their practice. So the doctor shouldn't be selling things. The staff shouldn't be selling things. 
Nobody should. And here's the parallel I draw. If I went into my family physician with a sore throat, he might say, well, Eric, we're going to do a tissue culture and find out what's going on here. And he might come back and say, Eric, we've caught you with an early stage strep infection. I'm going to prescribe an antibiotic to knock out the infection. And I'm also going to prescribe some uh, nasal spray to stop the post-nasal drip from reinfecting you. So I'd walk out with two prescriptions, hand them over to a pharmacist. The pharmacist would hand me back a bag with some pills and some spray in it. So in that entire situation, who sold me anything? And it's a trick question. The answer is nobody. The doctor prescribed, the pharmacist filled the prescription, and I went home happy. And that's the way it should work in an eye doctor's office. The doctor should prescribe the, the eyewear for the patient's needs. The opticians should fill the prescription, and the patient should go home happy with new products that's going to make their life better. You know... I love the idea of not selling. You know, I, I could be stickily and say, yeah, everybody sold something. But the, the way you sold was to understand the needs and fill the needs. You're, you're selling an outcome, not a product or a service or a bag or a pill or a spray or a, a test. You're right. selling an outcome. And then it doesn't feel like selling. And especially when it comes from a place where you genuinely understand the patient, the customer, um, it doesn't feel like selling. Most people don't like being sold. They don't like the process of being sold. Uh, they do like the process of having their needs met. So I think a big part of it is the attitude. If you've got the attitude that we're here to meet your needs, that's very different than the attitude man, I need to get some more sales so I can get some more commission. That's a different thing. Yeah. And so you're, you're basically helping an eye doctor who thinks that they are very patient oriented, see the blind spots in that and become even more patient oriented. Absolutely. Right. What a great, what a great win-win for the doctor, uh, for the doctor's patients, because those patients now uh, are getting much better care. Well, and I think a big difference is having the doctor explain what they need and why they need it. So if, if uh, I went in for an eye exam and the doctor spun the dials and he just determined what my refraction was and sent me out to the optical, and then the, uh, the opticians are going to try to sell me something, that's how I feel, because the doctor didn't say anything about computer lenses. He didn't say anything about polarized sunwear for the glare on the highway. Uh, all of a sudden, they're trying to sell me things, and I'm thinking, well, wait a second now. I've got my regular glasses. Those are 400. I've got my polarized sunwear. You know, that's another 400, and the computer glasses maybe are 250. So I've got $1,000 I'm spending here. And when we don't understand why we should have something, what is the answer always? It's too expensive. Well, of course, it's too expensive if you don't understand it. Um, and I did this uh, consulting in a small town in Michigan, and uh, it was up north. And I went in to do like I usually do. I started on a Monday morning with a staff meeting where I told the staff what we were going to be doing and why we're going to be doing it. And their uh, head optician stopped me and said, well, Eric, you don't understand. You know, that stuff might go in Detroit or Chicago, but this is a small town. People up here, they don't have the money for stuff like that. And I said, well, you know what? I actually was here last week, as you might remember, and I spent about 20 minutes sitting in your parking lot because I wanted to watch the patient flow. And you know what I noticed? 
there were a lot of forty or fifty thousand dollar SUVs. I didn't see a single four hundred dollar junk car in the parking lot. So if people can afford a forty thousand dollar SUV, can they not afford four hundred dollars to make sure that they don't crash their car and total it, or maybe get hurt, or maybe even worse? We just haven't explained to them why they should have this product. And when we explain that, it makes sense. You know, what a great lesson, what a great object lesson. You know, the, the customer, that patient is buying an outcome. They're buying safety. And this optician who stopped you didn't understand what the customer was buying. They, they only knew what they were selling and that it was 250 to 400 bucks. But they hadn't figured out what the customer, what their patient, was going to buy. But if you don't ever have that conversation, you don't ever understand that that patient's world, um, you're not doing any better. And we're all being pressed for time because of managed care. We get paid less for doing more. And uh, so obviously I understand that there's a time crunch in there. That's why we start with a patient activity survey. It takes the patient 30 seconds maybe to fill it out, if, if that. And all it is is a series of check marks. Do you do this? You know, check it. Do you do this? There's about 20 things on it. And uh, they're done in 30 seconds. And that gives the doctor a place to start. So the patient might come back like me and say, well, doctor would say, Eric, uh, I see here that uh, you put down that you drive a lot. Uh, and I said, well, yeah, I, I do consulting. And quite often I'm traveling to uh, doctor's offices to work in their offices. And oh, okay. And uh, then he might explain to me, well, have you ever noticed all the glare that bounces off the highway and the hood of your car and all that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's caused by what they call polarized light. Anytime light bounces off an object, it becomes polarized, which means it's scattered in all directions. So we've got these lenses that are called polarized lenses. And what they do is they block all of the light coming toward your eye, except for that that's coming at the 180. So once it bounces and it scatters, that stuff gets blocked. The stuff coming straight, you can still see. So what it does is it removes all that glare. Oh, okay, well that makes sense. So then I would be a, a definite candidate for polarized lenses. Yep. You just can't wear them while you're filling your uh, gas tank because the uh, LEDs on the <laughs> gas pump doesn't, <laughs> don't work very well because they're polarized <laughs> the opposite direction. Right, right. But luckily, you're going pretty slow when you're filling your gas tank. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know if there's a parallel in the eye care industry, but uh, I've been on this tear for the last month or so with my business to business clients that, um, as, a, as my friend Lee Saul said, we have done salespeople a real disservice when we told them that your customers have self-informed on the internet. They already know what they want. You just need to ask them what they figured out for themselves and, and sell them that. Who knows more about the nuances of your business? You or your customer? How long did your sales training take you to learn how to, to all the nuances of your business? <laughs> the rest of your life. I mean, you're never done learning. And uh, for a doctor, you I mean, for an eye doctor, you couldn't even start before you had been through four or five years of medical school, right? Right. And, you know, I don't know if patients have self-informed about something as uh, something like glasses uh, or that doctors think that patients know what to ask for. But 
it's never true. It's just never true. And it, I mean, in some cases, sure, the patient has figured out in advance, you know, what they should have very rarely and quite often they're misinformed. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're very informed and they come in with things right on. Yeah. But, uh, but you sure don't want to assume that the patient knows what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and everybody knows about the word assume. Yeah. Uh, I had back in the day when I was running an eye care place, had a patient that came in and wanted to get polarized lenses. And I said, sure, we can do that. So we got him polarized lenses and uh, he came in, picked them up, came back the next day and said, these aren't working. And I said, well, what's not working on them? Well, they're not getting light and dark. I mean, they're dark all the time. They don't get light in, in the daytime or when I go inside. And I said, well, they're polarized lenses. They're not supposed to get light. Oh, did you want photo gray lenses? <laughs> That's what they wanted. They thought they knew what it was. No. Yeah, we had a problem with that one. And, you know, um, you know, what a great, and this is something as simple as glasses and customers and patients still get that wrong. And so if, if your customers can make those kind of mistakes in glasses, let me ask you audience, could, could your customers make sense with your SaaS software solution uh, of the same magnitude? And what kind of danger, what kind of trouble do you get in when you assume that your customer is right? Um, you know, my doc, my wife is a doctor, and so she has uh, she has a a hate hate relationship with WebMD, the website. Um, <laughs> and she works at Mayo Clinic, which who also has an even you know, a great online website, but for patients who self inform, they misinform, they underinform, they overassume. Eric, do you have any thoughts on that? Absolutely. Um, anytime somebody comes in and they think they know what they're talking about, they very well might, but they, as in that case we just talked about, they might not. So it's always a wise communication strategy to reflect what they're saying. So if that patient had said, yeah, we want the polarized lenses, I would say, oh, you, you mean to avoid the glare from light bouncing off water or the highway or whatever? Oh, no, no, I just want the ones that get uh, dark when you go outside and get light when they come inside. So one more step in the conversation by reflecting what they're saying to make sure they know what they're talking about is very important. Um, and then, then, you know, if you have a couple more seconds, you can start asking about uh, whether they drive. Have you ever thought about the drive? Did you, did you know that you could get these polarized glasses? Is that something that you uh, would find any value from? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the companies that uh, make a lot of these products now have uh, come out with some really good demonstrators for those products. So you don't just tell the patient, hey, you, you know, these polarized lenses stop the glare. They've got a demonstrator that uh, I think they charge $50 for for a doctor and they give you five, ten dollar coupons. So you basically get it for free. They just want to make sure you're going to use their product. So uh, the demonstrator looks like this and it's got a little light in it that showed glare a little and, glare generator yeah and when you run that through a polarized lens it reduces the glare wow and there it is um for th for those of you who are just listening to this in audio uh it's a it's a little box with a glare generator and he's just put a pair of polarized glasses in front of the camera and the glare went away. 
And so helping, you know, just a real simple demonstrator costs to help patients understand the issues and help them understand the, the outcomes that they can expect. What a huge deal. It's massive. So now when you're helping your, your eye care professionals, um, what kind of increases in revenue do you often see with a, with a successful engagement? Maybe sure. on a uh, I was working uh, in a practice in Texas uh, a week ago and uh, the practice was generating about a million dollars. Uh, after I was there for three days, the doctor did projections based on my three days there. And he projected that this year they're gonna do 1.9 million. So almost doubled their sales. Wow. Uh, is that, is that uh, high, is that, what is kind of typical? That sounds huge. It, it's very good. Uh, typically I, I aim for a 40% increase for a minimum. And uh, obviously this is more like uh, 90%. So it, it's above what I normally aim for. But, uh, you know, I, anybody can do 40% if they if they half ass try. Yeah, but but think about that. Um, if you're generating a million dollars in EBITDA, uh, and you've got a $4 million practice, you will sell that practice for $4 million. And the practice goes for uh, from 4 million to 5.6 with a 40% increase, right? Did I do the math right? Uh, you might have. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was thinking to myself, uh, uh, raised gross sales by 900,000. If 70% of that falls to the bottom line, that's 630,000 times four. He just made another two and a half million for the practice. Uh, that's, that's a couple margaritas on the beach. Well, and I've got to say, uh, this doctor had it together. Uh, he he uh, jumped right onto the plan. He did the things that I asked him to do. That's another thing. Uh, doctors that are good managers are very few and far between because they've just got too many other things that can occupy their time. Uh, I recommend that if you're not a really good manager, then by golly, you should hire one because it's going to more than pay for itself over time. Yep. But this doctor happened to be also a very good manager. So he jumped right on it and uh, the numbers took off. And uh, the last day I was there, uh, him and his staff presented me with a nice card that all of them signed and enclosed a $250 Cabela's gift card with it. So I was very thankful for that. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. So I, I think that points to another really important issue. Uh, it's one thing to tell your consulting clients and your these doctors what has to change, but change management and behavior change is a completely different thing. Yeah. Um, what what kinds of challenges do you experience? You know, one, you need a doctor who's a good manager, and what makes a good manager? What makes a good manager who's able to get those behaviors to change throughout the practice? Sure, I, I would say the main thing is managing the people. Uh, managing the process typically is not that hard, but managing the people can be very hard. Yeah. And if the doctor does not take some sort of a firm hand with the staff and make sure the staff are doing what they're doing, it deteriorates. Uh, and if it's, if it's a, a friendly atmosphere and everybody likes each other, then they call it the friendly zoo. So everybody's getting along well, it's a nice place. Uh, but man, they, who knows what's going on there. And if, if they don't get along well, if there's backbiting and that sort of thing going on, then it's just terrible. It's, it's a death spiral. Yeah. Culture. Culture is important. 
Mm -hmm. uh, the other question is, there's a lot of people in a practice, all of whom touch the patient. How hard is it to get somebody who thinks, well, you know, I'm only a receptionist, to start being sensitive to gathering information about a patient and their life cycle, their lifestyle? Mm -hmm. It's really simple because as I say, this is a little, it's a third sheet of a, of a piece of paper there's 20 little check marks to make. It takes the patient less than 30 seconds to fill it out. So, uh, and we close the circle, by the way. So if the, if the receptionist does not hand that piece of paper to the doctor or to, excuse me, to the patient, then the first tech and uh, this particular doctor and most doctors now are using text to perform some of the pretest op operations. Mm -hmm. So the, the tech would have to say, uh, excuse me, uh, receptionist, but there's no patient activity survey here. We're not gonna be able to do anything with the patient until they fill it out. And uh, so that's the first break. And then the second break is with the doctor because the doctor is going to use that piece of paper as the first thing that the doctor talks about with the patient after the, uh, the little break the ice thing. Yep. So, yeah, do techs uh, use that intake form or the, the, the uh, receptionist have any of those preliminary discussions about, oh, I see you do a lot of driving? Or is that kind of reserved for the doctor? That's pretty much reserved for the doctor. But uh, it, it is important that they all gather that information. Yes. Yes. Without that information, the whole process comes to a standstill. Okay. Well, Eric, is there anything else that we didn't talk about that uh, you'd like to make sure that we that we get out there? Um, another thing we talked about briefly is money. Money is always something that's gonna bar somebody from buying something from you until they understand what the value of it is. Because that's the value exchange. You've got this product that you wanna sell me for this much money. And until your product outweighs my money, I'm not gonna give it to you. Yep. So in my mind, uh, this iPhone has got to be worth $1,000 before I'm handing you the money. If I think it's only worth 500, I'm not going there. Or if I don't think it has any value to me because I don't even know what it does. It's, what is that? Just a piece of glass and plastic. Well, no, this is uh, something that's going to take you all over the world. You're going to see news from around the world. Uh, you can take photographs with it. It's better than the, than the digital camera you bought 10 years ago all by itself, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we need to talk about the value exchange with anybody if we're going to try to get them to make a transaction with us. Yeah, you know, um... I define value in B2B, my, my definition of value is the desirability of the customer's outcome from working with you, from doing business with you. Uh, so your value as a consultant is the increased value of their practice. Uh, it's the better relationship with their patients for some of them. Um, and for many consumers, the value, that outcome, is an experience. It's enjoying driving more. It's um, not having the little minor hassle of uh, having to change glasses when you're going in and out of buildings a lot. So there, the, the outcome in the consumer area, we often call that a customer experience. But either way, it's not about the product. It's not about the iPhone. It's, as you said, it's, I'm taking you around the world. I'm giving you access to information. I'm, I'm giving you productivity and those are the outcomes. Those are the experiences. And so being able to have people t talk not about the glare, but about 
the experience of living glare free what what does that feel like to you when you're able to see the road more safely very valuable mm -hmm. right I, I would pay a lot more for that than um not than the for freedom from glare coming off my car hood i, I you know it's it's the same thing but um turning that into the customer experience is where it gets compelling i think yes absolutely absolutely and uh, I do train my uh, customers with that, too. Um, and another thing that I train them on is build up the pain. So uh, you use a computer 12 hours a day. How long before you start getting like tired eyes and you feel like you have to step away from the computer? Well, I don't know, maybe two or three hours. Well, did you know that the experts recommend every 20 minutes you take a short break from the computer screen just to let your eyes relax again? Well, uh, I didn't know that. Uh, etc cetera, etc cetera. but uh basically then what happens after four hours oh yeah man my eyes are really tired uh i start getting a little blurry does that ever stop you from getting projects done as quickly as you'd like well it slows me down sometimes so okay and then you just let that sit for a while so you've built up the pain you've helped them to realize oh yeah i do have a problem with that and then uh so anyway uh yeah when and, and when you yeah and when you finish up the day um what ha what happens you know are you too tired to to relate with your family is, is it take you a while to to get back into uh your normal frame of mind when you know the family comes home because uh, because of that eye strain is it affecting anything in your house while you're getting your brain back getting your eyes back yeah so you definitely want to remind the patients or have actually the patient remind you of what they experience yeah Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I, you actually visually while we were on zoom, you were using the, a balance like the, the two pan scale, like lady justice has. I use that metaphor all the time. I actually bought one of those old scales so that I could show people that your, your value goes in one pan and your price goes in the other pan. Mm -hmm. And what really happens is if you just describe your value, a customer puts it in their hand next to the pan and looks at it in their hand and guesses whether it weighs more than the price, which is in its own pan. Once you get them to say, what is that worth to you? Now they've put it in dollars and now they've put it in the pan. So as soon as you say, you know, what is that costing you? Uh, how much is that worth? Then they start to put a dollar value to it. And, you know, almost always when they're just kind of eyeballing it next to the pan, it's never as big as when you've asked them to put a dollar amount on it. Because the dollar amount, once you force them to think through it, always ends up bigger than the eyeball test. <laughs> um, it just gets more real. Um, great discussion, Eric. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. How can people get a hold of you if they want to know more about uh, what you do with uh, medical practices? Sure. Uh, our website is www.optirova, O-P-T-I-R-O-V-A, optirova.com. Great. And it's got all of our contact information on it. Uh, it's got sections on consulting. It's got obviously practice brokers. Uh, we've got a number of practices listed on it. I think right now we've got about 30 practices listed for sale. Great. 
Well, Eric, thank you so much. I appreciate your investing some of your time with us today. And again, thanks everybody for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we emphasize that value only exists in the mind of your customer or your patient, which means that sales and marketing is a lot more like brain surgery than you might have thought. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old, don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.